Welcome to another podcast by InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, joined by Greg Barnes and Ross Martin. Day two or opportunity two for Inside Carolina and other media to view practice and get some comments from the players and coaches after practice. Ross, I'll start with you first. Sort of the big takeaway that you had from today out in Keenan Stadium. Yeah, I mean, we asked, obviously we saw 30 minutes of practice, but afterwards I asked a couple of players about, you know, what is kind of different from this camp. Kind of thinking about the fact that Bubba Cunningham and Coach Fedora had talked about, you know, really reflecting on what they can change to recovery-wise and rest-wise and just do what they can to limit the injuries this year. And it seemed like a couple of the senior leaders, Thomas Jackson, um, Anthony Ratniff-Williams, I know he's a, a junior, but they discussed um, – you know, a lot more rest, a little bit less intensity in terms of just running them, them into the ground, getting them back to the hotel uh, earlier so they can have more time to relax and get more sleep. And just a little bit, maybe relax may not be the right word, but it seems like there's just a, a more intent focus on getting these players healthy, making sure they're, they're resting just as much as they are working out um, to, to prepare for that grind. Because if you run these guys into the ground in August, they're not going to be ready to go in September and October. So I think that was kind of uh, critical to see that change. It seems like it's been something that the staff and the training staff have talked about. And there have been some um, changes implemented into how camp works. And I thought that was kind of interesting as kind of a broader takeaway as we stand now on Thursday, the sixth practice of camp. Greg, that's a big deal. I think, you know, it's not like Fedora to ease off at all. Just we, we've talked about that Texas mentality or whatever, but maybe after last year with the number of injuries and all that, though injuries are going to happen in football no matter what you do. Maybe it's a, a new way of approaching things. Your thought on the on that information Ross shared and that process that maybe Carolina football is going through. I think it's all a matter of recency bias. I think that's all it is. I think because things happened last year and so many guys got hurt that you automatically say, okay, what went wrong? How can we fix it? And so inevitably this is going to happen. I mean, if you go back to 2015, North Carolina was one of the healthiest teams in the country and it paid dividends and they win 11 games and they go to the ACC championship game. Two years later, by doing the exact same things that they had been doing, they have an ungodly amount of injuries. And I actually talked with Fedora during our sit-down this summer. And I said, I get it that everybody's pointing fingers and trying to figure out what happened. But at some level, don't you have to say, look, we did the exact same thing a couple of years ago. We got to make sure we don't go overboard this this time around. And he, you know, he, he had the same thoughts. I said, yeah. He said, we want to make sure we're not missing anything. So you've got to dive in and check all the details and, and see if there's any way maybe you can do things a little bit better. But yeah, you don't want to put too much emphasis on what happened last year when they've had relatively pretty good success in previous years, avoiding those types of injuries. So I think it's fine that they're doing it. I mean, there's already been some injuries, some minor injuries thus far in camp. Like you said, Tommy, that's going to happen. Uh, but I, I think you have to be careful not to make too big of a deal out of last year when it's really just kind of a a fluky situation. Let's switch over to uh, the freshman wide receivers. 
clearly Carolina had a big class coming in. Jordan Adams, of course, getting paid playing baseball. But Ross, uh, Daomi Brown, and Green, Antoine Green, are going to get, I think, are going to get major reps this season. You talked to some guys. They all spoke of those guys as being uh, players that are going to make an impact this season. Yeah, I think UNC fans have to be really excited for the future of the wide receiver group. Uh, knowing what they have this year, obviously with Thomas Jackson, Anthony Radford Williams, and some other players. But the two freshmen, we, we kind of knew we're going to make an impact. Dami Brown, we heard a lot of good buzz out of spring from him. is just like a very athletic, dynamic receiver with solid size uh, and, and just that ability to, to make plays. I think a little surprise has been how quickly – Antoine Green has kind of stepped up and shown off, um, you know, asking Fedora about them. Multiple players have said they've really stood out. Um, and it seems like they, they, both, they both have that size you want out of receivers, both above 6'2". Donnie Brown maybe a little more physical with the line, a guy who can kind of play, maybe slot along with some outside receiver. But Antoine Green seems like a burner, a guy who can just kind of stretch the defense. And both – both people, both people I've talked to have said that those guys can take the top off the defense. And that's what UNC, you know, when they don't have that, they really struggle because they need to spread the safeties back. And I think I think we're going to see a lot of those two guys, and I think at least one of them will start, probably Brown, because he's a little bit ahead of, of Green. But I know Greg at practices has been able to watch them. So I, I've been focusing on the defense mostly. So if Greg could kind of give us our thoughts on what he's seen in person from those two guys, I think it, it would give us a little more – um, view of how they are. Yeah, well, I think kind of the, the key component is when we talk about North Carolina wide receivers, uh, you, you always have guys that kind of fit prototypes, like Quinshot Davis. You know, he he was a split end. That's what he was. You know, if you needed tough yards, you could throw to him. If you needed to throw some jump balls, he could do it. Uh, Mac Hollins. You know, Mac Hollins was not a guy that was going to you know, juke a guy out of his shoes with his route running ability. But if you need a vertical route, a go route, Mac was your guy because he could outrun anybody. And Switzer, you know, Ryan Switzer, by the time he got to his senior year, he had finally learned how to run routes effectively. And when you combine that with his quickness, he all of a sudden became very, very good. And it helped that he had a very good quarterback throwing him the ball. Uh, but you, we haven't seen you know, too many dynamic wide receivers like a Hakeem Nix, for example, who could do a little bit of everything. Um, and kind of if you look at what this roster had last year, I think that was a little bit problematic. You had a Daz Newsome, who was a pretty good slot receiver, still kind of learning his his ways. You had some bigger guys who were still kind of learning. You know, Bo Corrales was a young guy. Roscoe Johnson was a burner. Uh, didn't really bring a whole lot more to the table. And you just kind of had these, these guys that were kind of pigeonholed. But now when you look at a guy like Antoine Green and even Diamond Brown, I mean, Green, yes, he's a burner. He's tall. You, he'll be able to put on another 10 to 15 pounds in the next year or two and really be a, a physical force. But he is quick. I mean, he, he, he looks like a slot receiver in a, you know, a split-ends body, essentially. And that changes what you can do dramatically. Um, and so now you've got a situation where you've got guys like Daz Newsom who is now kind of developed and matured and understands his role as a slot guy. Thomas Jackson is back. He was expected to be a guy they could do a lot of different things with last year on the inside. And then, you know, Bo Corrales, Thomas Jackson was really high on what he's done in training camp thus far. Bo has put on some weight. 
Uh, and so you've got all these different guys. Anthony Ratliff Williams last year, he was a little bit limited in what he could do because he was new to the position. We all saw him grow throughout the course of the season and developed into a pretty good wide receiver. But I think he can be a lot better than what he was last year. And so you, he's a guy that really took off in the spring, and that's continued in the training camp. So, so now you've got all these different pieces. Uh, and with an Antoine Green type, who's a guy that's going to push for playing time, uh, and he may not start, but I think either him or Daomi Brown will probably start, you know, opposite of Anthony Ratliff-Williams, and then with one of those slot guys. So I think you've got a lot of different options now. Uh, and in talking with Nathan Elliott earlier this week, I, I think he's excited about about the possibilities because last year, while you had some talent there, uh, it, it was either very raw or uh, inexperienced. And so now you're starting to see the guys understand what they're supposed to be doing. They've got that experience. They've had a full offseason with Nathan and Chaz to kind of build that chemistry. And I think that's going to pay dividends. Yeah, and Greg, it's kind of crazy to think about it with Gunter Brewer's recruiting of this wide receiver class. If they include, you know, if Jordan Adams were to make it on the field, I mean, imagine that trio being at UNC for three or four years. It's kind of incredible kind of seeing what we were seeing from Green and Brown. If you would add Adams to the mix, who is the better of the three, it's, it's an incredible haul of really athletic, long, rangy wide receivers. Um, it's a testament to what Brewer could bring in receiver-wise. Additionally, speak kind of adding to what you said about the receivers last year that didn't have Austin Prohl for most of the season, Thomas Jacks for most of the season. And like you said, the guys who are stepping up now were either freshmen or really young or coming off injuries. So everyone seems to be healthy and you add in two freshmen. It's pretty exciting if the quarterback situation and the offensive line situation can be kind of ironed out. There's definitely some weapons combined that with a big stable of running backs and there's a lot, a lot of playmakers for Fedora and the offensive staff to kind of work with. Well, and I would say this to, to kind of finalize the, the conversation about wide receivers. Uh, we're going to have a story up on Thomas Jackson and kind of about his coming back from his injury and becoming a leader on this team, but he's the only senior wide receiver that I can think of uh, on this roster. And so he's going to be a key component in terms of that leadership and that, in that position room. Uh, but it's not like this is like the year that this has to happen for this wide receiver group. I mean, of course they have to, they need to have a good year, but you can always build towards next year. And then you're going to have green and you're going to have Brown. who have got a, a year under their belt. All these other guys who, who kind of forced into early action last year, they're going to have you know, two full seasons under their belt. If Ratliff Williams, you know, assuming he comes back, he's going to be the, the senior guy that should be an all ACC candidate. So now all of a sudden you're talking about a wide receiver group that, that went from a question mark a year ago, largely due to injuries, but you know, some, some talent deficiencies there as well, to you know, maybe next year if we're going to project forward, you're being really good. I don't know if you could say best in the ACC, but you could say in the, certainly in the top quarter of the ACC just in terms of, of talent and experience. Greg, the importance of having Thomas Jackson back on the field. I know uh, leadership can be – uh, put forth, even if you're injured, but having him out there on the field, it, I think it makes a huge difference for North Carolina. He sort of um, is the old hat, like you mentioned, uh, of the group, especially when there's so much young talent out there. Yeah, no doubt. And you know, Vip was on the other night talking about you know, Nathan Elliott, for example, that during the offseason, when you had some of the young freshmen come in, not just your wide receivers, but like offensive linemen and skill position guys, 
He was out there running with them during some of their drills, encouraging them on, saying, look, guys, come on. You, for us to be good, it's not just a position thing. It's everybody on offense. And Thomas Jackson is doing the same thing. So, I mean, you know, apparently uh, his voice can be heard on the sidelines. Larry Fedora knows he needs Thomas Jackson this year. And so they've been they're taking it very slowly with him. He's cleared the play, but they're not making him go full bore quite yet, uh, just to, just to kind of let him ease back into it. But while he's on the sidelines, he is coaching up everybody he can because it's really him and Ant are the only ones that have a lot of experience with this wide receiver group. So he is the vocal leader, and I think that's that's a key ingredient. So, yeah, he, he brings plenty in terms of talent, but the kid works his butt off, and he's a good leader, and I think that's critical for this group. Ross, you sort of had a back and forth with Coach Fedora, and this will be my last wide receiver slash now return man question. Uh you ask about Diami Brown, punt return, you guys kind of went back and forth. But one thing he said for certain was Ratliff Williams was going to be back returning kicks. And I know a lot of people see that, and it bothers them. I remember when Gio Bernard was slotted to be a punt returner, folks um, almost had a conniption when that announcement came along. It certainly worked out, at least in one game for North Carolina. But you got to have a playmaker returning kicks, uh, both punts and kickoffs. Ratliff Williams is certainly that. I mean, especially um, with the unknowns, with the quarterback situation, a big return guy, I think, can make a huge difference jump-starting the entire offensive side of the ball for North Carolina. And Ratliff Williams would be that guy. Yeah, I mean, and if you have a chance to score, I mean, that's easy points if you can get the ball in his hands and he can make, you know, score two or three touchdowns. He scored two last year. I think it's it's very wise to have your best athletes get the ball as many times as you can, no matter how you get them the ball, whether that's through flea flickers or you know different kinds of hands off hands off in the backfield and kickoff and punt returns. I think it's smart that they're putting probably one of the best athletes on the field at kickoff return. He proved he could do it last year, um, and he's going to be the guy this year. It's interesting to see who is going to be the punt returner. I think Groves has a chance back there. I think Daz Newsom has a chance. I think Thomas Jackson has been a punt returner uh, during his time at UNC as well. So that's kind of the one we're also focusing on. There's a lot of athletes. I mean, KJ Sales also, I think, was the backup punt returner last year, or at least one of them. So it'll be very interesting yeah, and, to see who gets the punt And Brown punt and Green have both, have both been back there uh, yep. fielding kicks. So there are options as well. There's no shortage of speed on this team, especially on the offensive side of the ball. And Cotman, I think, is a freak athlete as well. So I'm sure there's some tryouts for the punt return position. I'm sure it's a position a lot of guys would love to have um, because it's just a, it's a fun spot to be in to, to really get some yards and score some touchdowns. But getting the ball into Ratliff's hands as much as possible should be, should be the goal of this team, no matter how it happens, uh, special teams, offensive or otherwise. Wide receiver coach Luke Pasquale certainly has uh, plenty plenty to work with. We'll see how it pans out. And, Ross, now I want you to share with our listeners this radio show's newest sponsor. Yeah, so thanks, Tommy. So this is our – we're doing a live read now for our new local advertiser, uh, and it's a way to go travel, a travel company that I see is partnered with to give you, the Carolina fan, a better travel alternative for UNC away games. My man Chuck Joyce reached out to us. He's a diehard UNC fan, a Greensboro native, and president of A Way to Go Travel, which has created this website called Heels Travel. And right now they're selling packages to Cal and, and the, the Cal-UNC game. I know that's pretty close, but if you still want to get out to San Francisco, 
The package includes round-trip airfare, a bus ride to and from the airport, and a three-night stay in the hotel Chatuck Plaza in Berkeley. Pretty nice boutique hotel right there in Berkeley, uh, less than a mile from the stadium. So that's a pretty cool deal. The package makes everything easy. You don't have to deal with the hassle of booking things or trying to find the best price. Heelstravel.com has it all figured out for you. They have six packages left, so hop on that for the Cal game. It's Heelstravel.com, 336-855-0060 to book now. Again, Heelstravel.com, 336-855-0060. Again, Chuck Joyce with Heels Travel is a UNC fan. He's trying to figure out a better way to get Carolina fans to away games. So we wanted to help him out here. The hotel is close to Berkeley. It's close to the airport, and it's really close to get to San Francisco if you want to make your Bay Area experience more full. Also look for packages to the East Carolina game. That's going to be a bus trip and to the Virginia game on October 27th. And then down the line for basketball. He's got things figured out for the Las Vegas games, November 22nd, 23rd, and the CBS Sports Classic against Kentucky. So we'll get those cooking pretty soon as well. Again, heelstravel.com. And that is it. Thanks, Tommy. Yep, good stuff, Ross. I can tell you this. It is getting uh, less and less easy to make excuses about you shouldn't go to Carolina sporting events, away games specifically. Hills Travel certainly will get you there um, pretty easy. Keep it simple. Good stuff, Ross. Appreciate you sharing. Greg, let's pivot to the offensive line on this podcast. You know, if the defensive line is the strongest point, I think the offensive line may – surprise some people they do have some parts that they need to get nailed down though before going to cal well for sure and i think the fact that uh, you know the interior of the line has, has been a kind of a question mark throughout the offseason and i think that remains and i think people get wrapped up in recruiting rankings and, and that is you know that is kind of a telltale sign you can learn a lot from that but experience matters. I mean, this UNC offensive line returns the fewest starts of, of any team in the ACC. And Charlie Heck owns the majority of those. And last year was really his first full season. But I think, you know, Chris Kapilovic likes what he has at the tackle positions with William Sweet and Charlie Heck. Uh, but, you know, when you look at those first four games, Jordan Tucker, who you know, Cap really thought would be kind of his third guy, he likes – you know, he likes to to have a rotation with three tackles, three guards, and two centers. That would be his ideal situation. And Tucker's that third tackle for him. So he's not going to have a key piece there early. So that, that taxes sweet and heck probably more than you would like. And then you know, Nick Polino, I think, is the safe option. A left guard, he's a veteran guy. Uh, but, you know, I mean, he's, you, I don't think you're going to say he's, he's an all-ACC type prospect there and then a right guard I, I think is a big question mark the, the fact that you know Marcus McKeithen was moved inside uh, without much experience at all and the fact that he seems to be doing pretty well there uh, I think kind of indicates some issues you know as, as Cap told me about a month ago Billy Ross you had an okay spring um, he had some some glimpses of of potential some some good days, but also you know has a, has a lot to work on. Uh, and then you know Jonah Melton's kind of the same boat. He he's not quite ready to to fully contribute. And then at center, you know, JJ McCargo, th- there's a lot of hype surrounding him. He didn't get a whole lot of playing time last year, which you know, to me is kind of a a red flag just in terms of 
you know, the fact that Cam Dillard was banged up as much as he was, that JJ didn't play more. Uh, kind of said, well, you know, maybe maybe he wasn't quite ready, even though you know, he looked good against ODU, but you know, that's that's ODU. Uh, and then he he didn't participate in spring ball due to injury. So I, I think you, they're very high on him. They think he has a high ceiling, but he's inexperienced. And the same goes, you know, at right guard, a ton of inexperience there. And even William Sweet, you know, we, he's got a lot of potential, but I mean, he started, what, two games? Um, and so I think when you look at this group as a whole, yeah, you like some pieces, um, and it, you know it, it looks good on a recruiting board, but how much experience do they have in ACC games? And clearly, like I said, Charlie Hex, the number one guy in that category, and last year was really his first year, and it took him a while. He had some bad games early, which is to be expected, but he came on strong and, and kind of closed strong. So uh, Kapilovic has a lot of work to do this training camp. He's got he's got a couple weeks to kind of mold this this group together. But I do think while there are good pieces, there's there's a lot of work that has to be done. And I don't think we're going to see a finished product in September. I think it's going to be closer to the end of the year when we really see you know, maybe the full potential of this group. Ross, on uh, some OL scoop you had earlier today on Tar Pit Premium Message Board, I mean, Heck and Sweet have been impressive. I'll be honest, I didn't think Charlie Heck would be the guy we were talking about a couple of years ago. Uh, this season as being the leader, but he's really stepped up. Uh, speak more to that, to his progression, William Sweet's progression, even though, like Greg says, and it's hard to believe as much as we've heard about Sweet, is uh, didn't he get hurt at Old Dominion? And, and that was... Yeah, I think he played in three games and got hurt in Old Dominion. Yeah, so his, his uh, pool of action is very small there, but just your take, Ross, on the outside working in. Yeah, I mean, Charlie Heck's a crazy story. I remember when he committed, um, I was over working for Carolina Blue for 24-7 Sports, and the commitment, I was doing recruiting back then, the recruiting broke, the commitment broke, and we didn't have a profile for him. So I had to go make a profile for him, and he was part of the committed class for UNC because he was a tight end, you know, a 6'5", 6'6", 225 pounds tight end. But Coach Cap you know, recruited him and offered him a scholarship just based on the fact that his brother grew into a six, seven big time tackle. His dad coaches offensive line, in the NFL. Uh, he had the frame, uh, he was going to grow and he had the athleticism. And I remember, um, coach cap told me after he signed that he was more athletic than his brother. And John, I think started almost four seasons at UNC. And so they felt like they had something and, and kind of found a diamond in the rough with Charlie the Heck. And Coach Cap told me that that and that's been one player that it really panned out because he started 11 games last season. You just want, I mean, if you get if you get a guy who commits and he's a starter for you, I mean, that that's that's kind of what you we want a guy who can start and can play. And, and the best ability is availability. And he was the most available player uh, on the offensive line for UNC last year, did not get injured, came in, uh, I think, when Sweet was injured and then i bentley spain also was hurt at some point as well um he was the one kind of steadfast there and he becomes one of the main leaders of the offensive line this year uh at right tackle with with sweet uh at left tackle and um he's a physical huge guy long arms i mean i'm six five he towers over me so he's a, he's a solid six eight good smart kid so 
you're excited about what they have on the outside. And we've kind of documented this along with my scoop. And I'm looking at the scoop right now on the premium board and, and Greg's comment a lot as well. And the, the concern is in the middle. The fact, that they don't really have a right guard right now that's standing out. I saw Coach Cap today at practice just get into Billy Ross, like just destroy him in terms of just yelling at him and stuff. Um, there's been some injuries as well that we you know can't really talk about too much, but they're still figuring out that right guard spot. Polino is at left. And I mean, I think I think McCarger will be a serviceable center as he continues to learn the position and gain strength and learn what he needs to do there. So it's gelling together. The fact they have kind of four guys set uh, right now, I think it's kind of a positive. You know, the fact that those guys will be working together for the next three weeks up until Cal. But as Greg said, maybe not the most talented group of guys. And so they're going to have to rely on this, their strengths on the outside and then coming together and doing what they can as an offensive line group. Greg, sort of put you on the spot. The most important offensive line position in Larry Fedora's offense. I would think center. What's your take? Yeah, I think center. Just because if you look at what he's had, I mean, when you're talking about guys like Russell Bodine, um, Lucas Crowley, I mean, even last year, Cam Dillard, you know, had a lot of experience playing in the SEC. That kind of, That's kind of where it starts. And when you factor in that, you know, this team does not huddle, so it's really up to the center to kind of spread that information out you know, on both sides. I, I think that's critical. So that's that's part of it with, with J.J. McCargo. Is that, yeah, I don't think there's any question about athleticism. I mean, he appears to be a great athlete. But you know, there, there's a lot of the, the thinking process that has to be applied. And so you know, it's, it's easy to say, yeah, I've got it. But when you're actually in – stressful situations, how easy does it come to you? How quickly can you react? How quickly can you make changes of your own when you see something, when you, when you see a linebacker slide up into the gap that you weren't expecting, or you see the defensive line stunt, or they, you know, they shift at the line of scrimmage right before the snap. Can you spot that? And can you communicate that to cover any of those gaps? And uh, that's, that's easier said than done, and these guys are tested on that in practice. But under the lights, is a little bit different. And so I think experience is kind of a key component there. Uh, so I, I think for sure that's the that's the position that I would circle. Last question for you in this podcast, uh, and appreciate you guys getting it done early. Uh, to our listeners, Greg and Ross have been at practice this morning, done all the work on Tar Pit Premium Message Board. If you've missed it, you need to check it out. A lot of videos a lot of player interviews and Fedora interview as well. And Ross, I want to come to you first and let's debate it just a bit. It is interesting to me that he's been relatively forced to naming his starting quarterback, whether or not uh, Elliot was the guy and just wasn't announced. Uh, he's had to come out and announce it. But in that post-practice interview, he still didn't want to give up the fact that everything's still a competition. Now it just drops back a level. And uh, now we're at a, uh, you know, the backup quarterback position, which Buck Sanders always says is my favorite position on the team. So I don't have a favorite player yet because Fedora wouldn't name the backup Ross. So your yeah. thoughts, your thoughts on that. Uh, I mean, Elliot's the guy that'll help immensely for him to get prepared, but somebody in the back, somebody's got to be ready. And it's either going to be a guy like Manny Miles that's been there a while. It's going to be a true freshman. And at least for the first four weeks of the season, that is an interesting thought for North Carolina fans. Well, yeah, and the, the red shirt rule kind of helps there. If if Fedora and the staff want to throw in Jace Reuter, 
which, God, that'd be tough uh, in this offense to throw a true freshman out there if Elliott were to come out. And there's a good chance that Elliott gets injured in the first four games where that's just banged up, you know, or a helmet comes off or, or just something, 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 maybe not a serious injury. But that's a pretty I – would, I would almost bet that he does get at some sort of, of something that keeps him out of the game. So, I mean, where does he turn? I mean, Manny Miles seems like the safe pick, the fact he's been in the offense for four years, but he's a, a walk-on for a reason. But that seems like the guy that would go unless they feel really, really good about the grasp that Jace Reuter has of the offense. I think he's the guy that's kind of uh, maybe risen above Cade Fortin from kind of the things we've heard. Um, but it does provide a kind of interesting scenario and choice, a tough decision to make if that were to happen there. Uh, but back to the competition thing, I think I, I think Elliott's definitely not backing off and definitely doesn't feel comfortable with where he is, I think he knows he has uh, very far to go uh, to become where he needs to be uh, in this offense. So he he's he's very confident in his abilities, but knows he still needs to work really hard and get better every day to get where this offense needs to be. And and talking to the guy, I mean, he's a very modest guy, very you know serious, good person to interview, um, but he, he still doesn't have that confidence that. Uh, a Marquise Williams or a Mitch Trubisky had doesn't have that swagger. I mean, he just got handed this job, and it, it's still it maybe only shocking that he that he won the job, and he just is his nose to the grindstone, uh, knowing he has a pretty far way to go to to lead this offense. Yeah, well, kids, kids like Nathan Elliott do not get to where they are by loafing and coasting, right? It's the kids that are six four, two thirty, with a cannon arm that can coast because it comes easy for them. And they're, you know, grew up being the best of the best and they get high recruiting rankings because they're bigger than everybody and they can throw the ball further than everybody. Those are the guys you have to worry about. The guys that are six foot one, 200 pounds, that aren't the fastest in the world and don't have the biggest arms. You don't have to worry about work ethic with those guys. And, you know, you, you kind of attach the, the Texas mindset uh, which is a little bit cliche, but I think it's accurate. Um, he, he's going to battle for everything he's got. And if he's got a little bit of uh, an open doorway here, he's going to do everything he can to take advantage of it. So I don't think anybody has to worry about him you know, taking his foot off the gas. And I, I'll add this. I, I think Manny Miles is the guy, at least early. Now, if Elliott gets hurt, like hurt, hurt, and he's out for games while Chaz is suspended, then you start having the conversation. Okay, are we ready to take the training wheels off, Reuter or Fortin? But if we're talking about a series of snaps here or there, there's no question in my mind that, that Manny Miles would be the guy to go in. Lots we can discuss there. Lots we will discuss leading up to the season. I think the red shirt rule, uh, I've got some thoughts on that. We'll hit it later in the podcast as we get closer to the season. Uh, Ross well, Gregg. Teaser, Tommy. A teaser, yes. Uh, Ross, uh, uh, I can't, I can't wait for that. Oh yeah, it's going to be seven minutes on the red shirt rule straight, <laughs> and uh, then I want you to comment. <laughs> Ross, Greg, man, appreciate you joining me. I know you guys have been busy. To our listeners, hope you've enjoyed the show. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Tommy. Thanks, Tommy. Thanks for listening to InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting.